As I say each week, we're in a series called Following Jesus, His Life and Teaching. And uh, each week we're providing a handout. Uh, hopefully, the new hand has the new handout come out yet? Have you got it from the new one? Yeah, awesome. Boy, they're just doing a great job on that. This morning we'll be looking at a familiar passage from the teaching Jesus gave to his disciples during and after the Passover meal um, that he and his disciples shared together the night before his crucifixion. This material, these three chapters or thereabouts from the Gospel of John, not recorded in any of the other Gospels, is perhaps one of the most profound uh, portions of the Gospels. And uh, imagine it's the night before you're going to die and you're with your best friends, you're with those people that you love. You're going to share with them the most intimate, most significant things that you uh, ever would. And these three chapters are, are full of that particular kind of material. Plus... Jesus knows he's going away, and they don't get that. And, and understandably, their understanding of the Messiah was that he would come and be victorious warrior and would kick the butt of Rome out of there. So I'm not going to be on this Palm Sunday nor uh, even next Sunday going to be highlighting per se on the crucifixion and resurrection, the atonement, but all of that is taken as undergirdings for what we're doing. And our series has been looking to highlight for us what is Jesus telling us, what do we learn about Jesus, what do we learn about the eternal kind of life that he's inviting us to. And and it's those two aspects that I am going to be focusing on in these next two weeks. This week from John 15, and then next week primarily from John, a portion of John 17. So here is the portion uh, that we have looked at this week for those of you who have uh, studied it and uh, used it as a part of your devotional time. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. 
I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now for the past 20 years, literally, I have been drawn to this passage time after time after time. When I was a full-time with the church, I used to take a week-long spiritual retreat, one to two times a year. Claire would help me get our trailer some of the times, other times I would stay in a small cabin or something of that nature. And I would spend time alone with God and His Word. And many of those years, many of those retreats, I found myself drawn back to these verses and to Jesus' statement, abide in me as I abide in you. Honestly, each time I read it, each time I was drawn there, I felt like there was something tremendously deep and profound in the verses, but I also felt like it was eluded me. Couldn't lay hold of it. Last December, I bumped into a devotional by Andrew Murray called Abiding Christ. And um, it's, it's designed to be a devotional, but it, it's a little bit longer for each one of the 31 days. And so I've ended up uh, using it off and on while also do, using the texts that we have been using as a church during the week. And so it's not consistent that it's an every day, but most often once a week I'll use it. And I'm using only a portion of them because of the material is, is longer and it's more meaningful for me to leave portions. But um, Murray lived uh, from 1828 to 1917. My own father was born in 1919. So Murray's a little before that generation. He was a South African pastor, teacher, and writer. And he had an amazing understanding of the relationship of the believer in Jesus. All of his materials are, um, of course, uh, in public domain. So you can actually get them in PDFs online. Just pick one of his books, Abide in Christ, Andrew Murray, PDF. You can get a copy of it without having to pay $5.99 at Amazon for it. Yeah, it'll be paper and all that. But anyway, you can put it on your Kindle really easily that way. On January 1st, I began using that book, as I mentioned, as a devotional. And my understanding, uh, I'm only on day four of 31, and I started in January. So there's more richness yet to come. But my understanding has blossomed in these months and will continue to, I'm sure. And I want to read to you a statement by Murray about this union with Jesus that Jesus is inviting us to. Here's what he said. Wondrous parable of the vine, unveiling the mysteries of the divine love, of the heavenly life, of the world of spirit. How little have I understood thee. Jesus, the living vine in heaven, and I, the living branch on earth. How little have I understood, how great my need, but also how perfect my claim to all Jesus' fullness. How little understood, how great his need, but also how perfect his claim 
to my emptiness. Let me, in its beautiful light, study the wondrous union between Jesus and his people until it becomes to me the guide into full communion with my beloved Lord. Let me listen and believe until my whole being cries out, Jesus is indeed to me the true vine, bearing me, nourishing me, supplying me, using me, and filling me to the full to make me bring forth fruit abundantly. Then shall I not fear to say, I am indeed a branch to Jesus, the true vine, abiding in him, resting on him, waiting for him, serving him, and living only that through me too he may show forth the riches of his grace and give his fruit to a perishing world. Before we head into uh, this material this morning, let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are the guide. You're the one given to come alongside and help. You are the one who is to remind us of all that Jesus has said and to empower us to hear the truth of his words. And I ask this morning that you would shine your light into our misunderstandings, to our places of confusion, that you would bring light to the truth of what Jesus is saying here. Might you uncover the treasure that is here. And might we be changed through knowing you, Jesus, so much better. Papa, thank you for the life which you have extended and made available to us. Might we be those who reach forward this week to welcome and embrace that eternal life now available. In Jesus' name, amen. My intention is to briefly um, look at each of the thoughts, phrases, sentences that's in this material. As we were praying this morning uh, in the prayer time before church, one of the things that occurred to me is that there are uh, negative what appear to be negative aspects in these verses. Remove, prune, throw away, burn. Kind of challenging concepts. And I think the enemy has won too many battles by um, enabling or helping us to focus in on those few negative things that I believe I will bring some light to today. However, 
This passage is about life. It's about the eternal kind of life that we're being invited to live. And it's about a life with God. And so my hope today is that we can sort of step back, look and see and behold the beautiful truth of what it means to abide in Christ. Because those elements that are negative that are there are descriptions of the perishing life that I talked about last week. The word is not death in John 3.16, but is perishing. God does not want us to perish. And throughout the scriptures are pictures and portraits of the perishing life. Romans chapter 2. It's a description of the perishing life. And God is inviting us to another kind of life. The only other kind of life that there is. Life in God. Life with Him, as we were designed to be. And, and the, this passage is, is, is attempting to highlight that we have been created, that we, it is within our DNA to be connected to God, intimately connected. The picture and image of branch and vine is of one being. Oneness, union. So let's look at the first line from this. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. Jesus speaks of the truth and things about him being true quite a bit. We are all familiar and remember John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the life. Essentially, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's saying, hey everybody, I'm the real deal. I'm the true source of life. I'm it. What you've been searching for, what you've been longing for, what you have been scrounging around for, I'm it. What you need, what you desire is true life and that be me. I am the source. I am the source of all. The description of the father as the vine grower means that he is both the owner of the vineyard, so to speak, in the parable, in the story, and he's the owner of the vine. But he is also the one who works with and tends to the vine and the branches. There is a working together. And it's easy to lose track of the, of the Father in this passage, though he's referenced one other time. And now perhaps what I hope to be, uh, what is typically seen as the most difficult passage, part of the passage that I hope I have sent, said before, 15 verses 2 and 3, He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Believe it or not, this is a really comforting, encouraging statement. 
But there's a problem with it, and that is the word remove. Every translation uses that word as its translated word. The Greek word translated here, remove, is the word iro. Kind of sound a little bit like air. According to the New American Standard Bible Dictionary, it means to raise, to take up, and to lift. Yet the NASB translates it, takes away. New RSV, removes. Now, it's true that in order to remove or take away something, you have to lift it up. But where did they get that second part of the story? So NASB says, the word means to raise, take up, and lift. And they translate the text, take away. Anybody have a problem with that? Okay, I hope you do. Because here's the good news. It doesn't mean remove. The Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, a second tool I use, describes its meaning as to lift from the ground, to lift in order to carry, and to carry off. So there it is. It can mean that. A few weeks ago, I was in Stockton, California, and I saw mile after mile after mile of vineyards as I drove around getting from place to place. And I saw with my own eyes the truth of the meaning of this word. Pictures coming up. Grape plants are bushes, right? My citrus trees are bushes. We call them trees, but they're not. They're really bushes. And left to their own, grape bushes are wild and don't produce very much. And isn't that kind of a good picture of us? A little wild and we don't produce very much. They're dragging on the ground, they're crossing limbs, they're all over one another, it's just, it's just a mess. It's, it's not quite the perishing life, but it is definitely not the eternal kind of life. But with tending and care, grape bushes can become not only productive, but abundantly productive. Now, one of the ways grapevines are tended is to lift up. When, the, tranch, when the, the young branches are trailing in the dirt, they are become unproductive. They're covered in mud, potentially, if it's raining or they've been watered. These branches that are down low, dragging on the ground, are unproductive. The grape seedlings cannot remain on them. They're dirty. They can get fungus. They can get rot down there. They can perish down there. Trampled on. Not a good thing. So the vine dresser, the vine grower comes along next... Uh, no, not that one. Stay back here. I don't have a picture of it. Couldn't find a picture of, of it. But they come along... And they lift up the branches that are unproductive, that are on the ground, that might have 
mold or mildew, and they wash and clean them, and then they lift them up, bringing them up to where they can produce. That's what that verse says. We read it to you again. He lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit. Just, just get a pen out if you got a Bible and scratch out, remove, and put lift up. I think we've had a mindset that has missed the mark on that one. All right. And notice Jesus' reference. You have already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. Jesus is already saying, I have already lifted you up. He lifted us up when he was lifted up to the cross. In the relational understanding of the atonement, we were in Christ when he lived when he was crucified and was, when he was raised and the now glorious life, we were lifted up in him. Talked about that for a month last year. And here is a picture. Jesus is saying, my being lifted up, you were lifted up in me. You were cleansed by my word. The declaration of Christ. A second way grape plants are tended is to prune. Now, remember that uh, picture. Go back to the wild bush again. One. Uh, that one sort of does it too, but the next one's next one. There you go. I mean, pruning enables life and production because there is a thinning of them. If you come over to our house, you can see our citrus trees. Claire and I, a uh, couple months ago, did the pruning. And then recently, we, there's another aspect, which is the removing of suckers. I'll talk about that in a minute. But the thinning out of the branches that are crossing, that are going down instead of going up, is called pruning. You can go to the pruning picture now, if you would, Marie. So a young vine, grapevine, in its spring will be just a small stalk. In the summer, more branches will begin to form and there will be some, I guess there's no production in that year. Winter then prunes it back to be able to produce more. The next summer, we see its first expression of fruit. But look how much it is trimmed back during the winter of year two. Now, when we think of the vine, we can not only think of the root structure, but we can think of this primary cane or branch as, as the vine. Again, it's a metaphor, it's a picture, it's helping us to try and understand it is not a perfect representation of our relationship with Christ nor of who Christ is, but it's a picture, it's a metaphor. After that, look at this one. From that winter pruning, it becomes this multifaceted, multi-expression of fruitfulness. And then it goes from there. And you can see uh, by that year that there are lines that we use. 
I don't think they used those in the ancients. I didn't look that far back in my history, but they uh, create what are called canes that will go out to the sides and then will be trimmed back to that each year. I say all that to say pruning is not as much about removing all the bad stuff as preparing for life. Let's not get so hung up on the idea, you know, having my finger cut off with a set of clippers would not be a nice thing to have happen to me. But if I had a broken arm, having it set would be really helpful. And I use that illustration just simply to say this is not about killing. It's not about tearing or shredding. It's not about perishing. It's about life, fruitfulness. And it's not a perfect picture. It's a metaphor. And then there are the suckers. I don't think, oh yeah, I do. Next picture. I've got a picture of people removing the suckers. So uh, during the growing season, um, besides the branches growing, there are suckers that will grow on the bottom parts of the vine, even on some of the, the canes that have grown forth. And during the growing season, suckers are removed. You could call that, it's not in the text, but you could call that pruning as well um, because they're removing. And there, there is your word removing. But it's these things that are in our lives that are sucking life. They're the distractions. They're the habitual practices of sin. They are these, these things that drag us down, that suck the life out of us. And they come along and they are if not removed at a young age, will grow into a large branch that will suck the life out of the vine and the branches and not allow life, but also will not produce. I think we understand what happens when we allow little sins to have control and influence over us. They suck the life out of us. Abide in me as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Again, I'm going to start at the end. The idea that we can do nothing sounds negative. What, what do you mean? I can't, I can't do anything? No, we just can't live the eternal kind of life alone. On our own, what kind of life do we tend to live? The perishing life. What I can do on my own. And Jesus is painting a picture here of what the eternal kind of life is that he's inviting us to, the same life that Adam and Eve lived until the fall, which was a life of connected relationship with God. Period. Abide means to dwell, to live. But the picture, the metaphor he's giving us of branch and vine is of a continuity, of a connectedness that is of DNA. 
a branch cut off or removed from the vine will no longer be growing. It will no longer be fruitful. It will begin perishing. We must remain, we must learn, we must find the means to learn to live in Christ, to live out the very life that He has already given to us, it's already placed in us. Abiding in Him, living according to God in me, together. And then verse 6, Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers, perishes, Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Personally, I don't think he's talking about hell. He's talking about vine branches and what happens to them when they become disconnected from the vine. It is the natural course of perishing in our world, which I talked about a lot more last week than I am this morning. This is a picture, a branch will get thrown away. And the only use that there is for it at that point, if there is any use, is let's use it at least for kindling. They didn't have gas ovens or electric ovens back then, so they needed kindling. Any of you tried starting a log on fire know that you need kindling or you need gas, one or the other. So the point here is not the perishing or the fire. The point here is abide in me and you will have life. Don't abide in me, and you're not going to have life. You're going to be perishing. It's, it's that simple, in my opinion. Is there going to be eternal separation from God for those who don't want anything to do with God? Yeah, because we have human choice. What's that going to be like? Uh, No life. Perishing. Rottenness. But that's not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is, abide in me as I abide in you. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Don't you love that verse and don't you hate that verse? Oh my gosh, if I could figure that one out, then then I could pray for anything and it would happen. Eh, Perishing life sounds like what I can do on my own. Sounds like magic. No, but the reality is true. The real thing there is true. If we are abiding in Christ, if we are living according to His ways, if we are living according to His instructions, we will be in a place of union that will allow us to pray with the same fruitfulness that Jesus prayed. That's what it is supposed to be like. That verse means what it means. The trouble is the front end, right? Fruitfulness, uh, abiding. Okay, so what's the trick to abiding? Well, we're going to talk about that. That's why I'm hoping to still go if I have enough time. My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit 
and be my disciples. Branches exist to be united and to be one with the vine. And it is through this mutual existence that the fruit comes. A product of the vine and the branches together. The genetics for the fruit comes from the vine, the DNA of the vine. A branch connected to a grapevine that has the genetics to produce a red wine will produce red grapes, not white. So believers abiding in Jesus will produce the fruit of Jesus and in this they will evidence being his disciple. Look, he looks just like Jesus. He must be one of his disciples. That guy looks like, he, wow, he must be really learning a lot about how Jesus wants him to live because he reminds me of him. It's the natural byproduct of abiding in Christ is that there would be his fruit, the kind of fruit he had flowing through us. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his lover, love. As Father, so I. As I, so you. The picture of abiding in Christ is learned from the picture of Christ abiding in the Father. As Jesus abided in Christ, so we are to, I'm sorry, as Christ abided in the Father, so we are to abide in Christ. Oh, wow, that's what it looks like. That's what that looks like. The Father and the Son and the Spirit have a oneness, do they not? They are one. They are in union. And we have been invited into that union through Christ. Keep my commandments. I, I have a different spin on this. I, I know I've spoken with a few of you and I know that the word command is really important to you. And I, I get that. But I think in this application that it might better make sense to use the word instructions. If you follow my instructions, the outcome is you will abide in me. If you keep my commandments, the outcome will be that you abide in my love. <clears throat> just as Jesus followed the Father's instructions and followed in his love. Metaphor, picture. <clears throat> you're going down, you're driving down in the back country someplace, trying to get somewhere you've maybe kind of lost, and you approach this one street and it says uh, a dead end. And you go, I don't know. Maybe it's not a dead end. I think that's the way I'm supposed to go off a cliff. Instructions. Signs. 
The whole of Scripture is a book of instructions for how to live the eternal kind of life. And if we will follow the instructions, we will reach the outcome. But if we turn somewhere off the road, we will not. It's not so much, the idea here is not so much, man, you better get, you better obey. You better, you better learn, memorize these commandments and make sure you do them. No, this is the way. Walk ye in it. It's over here. Don't go that way. There's no door. And the one back there leads into weeds. And the one back there you can't hardly find. There's the door. That's the way to life. That's what Jesus is doing all through his ministry. He's pointing the way to life. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We, we in our culture and society have uh, really liked the idea of happiness. We want to be happy. And I, want, I like having people happy with me. That's not what he's talking about. Joy is something quite different and distinct from happiness. And honestly, it's something that I have not yet learned about this passage. I, I don't have a clue what it means to have his joy or for my joy to be made complete. But it's really important. It's, another, it's the second thing I'm going to start needing to learn. Because not only in chapter 15 does he say this, but he says it again in chapter 16 and chapter 17. Listen to chapter 16, verse 24. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. Identical words. So that your joy may be complete. There is something in the abiding in Christ, in the union with Christ, in the fulfilling of our destiny as fruit bearers, that there will be joy when we see the abundance of fruit that is being produced through us. That'll be way different than just happy, good feelings that life's going okay. We have been created as fruit bearers. And there is joy, Christ's joy in fruit bearing. In verse 17, Jesus says, I am coming to you, he's praying to the Father. I'm coming to you and I speak these things in the world to the disciples. They are speaking these things so that they may have my joy, echoing back chapter 15, made complete in them. So maybe someday at Easter I'll teach you about what that all means. Right at the moment, I don't really know. But it's important. Verses 12 and 14. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Here Jesus is finally talking about the fruit. He's talking about what it is that is going 
to be? What is intended? What is the DNA? What's the genetic outcome of being a branch, of abiding in Jesus and its love? The fruit of the vine, the fruit that will come through the sourcing of the DNA of the vine and through us is love. Just as Jesus' fruit is love and shown through the laying down of his life, so the fruit of the believer should be the same. It should be love, demonstrated through the laying down of one's life. This is my commandment. This is my instruction. This is the way. Walk ye in it. Love one another. Love. Love God and love others. The commandments of Jesus are simple if you want to call them commandments. There are not ten. There are two. Sort of. Because he said all the rest, everything in the law and the prophets, everything is summarized in this. Love God and love one another. As you are filled and live abiding in me, you will see the fruit of love. That is, the, that is the outcome of abiding in Christ. It is a loving person who looks just like Jesus. The branch will look like the vine. The son looks like the parent. And we should look like Jesus. I have um, the next section are, is a focusing in on what does it mean to abide in Christ and how do we abide in Christ. So I'm going to pick a few of these. I have more than I can cover. I knew that was going to be the case. So um, I'm going to do a couple of these. You know what, I can even do some of them pretty quickly. So how do we, what does it mean? How do we abide in Christ? I want to point out to you, it doesn't say abide with me. Jesus says abide in me. Jesus is inviting us to something more than just hanging out together. He's inviting us to an intimate union that is unto and like the very union that Jesus has with the Father and the Son. In 17, speaking of us all, he says that they may be one as we are one. As the Trinity is in union, as the Trinity is one, so we are to be one with them and with one another. And we're going to talk about that next week. The initiator of our abiding is Jesus. Murray said this in his book, Most Christians see their conversion and pardon as God's work, but then in gratitude to God, it is their work to live their lives as Christians and follow Jesus. There's always the thought of a work that has to be done, and even though they pray for help, still the work is theirs. As it was Jesus who drew you when he said, Come to me, so it is Jesus who keeps you when he says, Abide in me. 
the grace to come and the grace to abide are alike from him alone. He is the initiator. He is the source of our abiding. Branches do not work at abiding. <laughs> Branches do not work at abiding. And abiding is the natural state of the branch. One of my devotional times, I sensed I heard Jesus say this to me. Branches do not work at abiding. It is a state of being. At one time you were not, but then you, the fruit of the vine, began to form. Over time you grew and became. That's abiding. For a branch to be separated from the vine requires violence. It is not a normal function. To be separated is abnormal. For there is no life for the branch away from the vine. It is the natural state of the human condition to be in Christ. We were designed to be in Christ and for Christ to be in us. I, I, I've wondered if it isn't almost like <clears throat> somehow... We've got this great big missing part, you know, like a car missing its transmission. It's just, it's not going to go very far. It's not going to get a lot done. But drop a transmission into a 67 Ford Mustang with a punched out 302 and yeah, you can get somewhere. Living our lives, I do, I ran one down a drag strip once. Um, once um, in the passenger seat um, <laughs> felt yeah alright um, I lost my train of thought yeah. when God is in us then we're really alive that missing motor transmission is ready to go. Two more. Abiding in Jesus is a moment-by-moment -moment choice and action. Inviting Jesus to be Lord and Savior of our lives was not just a one-time choice and action, though occasionally it is proposed to look like that. Oh yeah, well, I, I invited Jesus into my life. I, I asked Jesus to be Lord. Yeah, I was 10 years old. I walked down an aisle. Somebody said a prayer over me and I, I'm in. I'm good. Uh, no, sorry. Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives is an ongoing moment-by-moment -moment way of being and living. Similarly, abiding in Jesus is a moment-by-moment -moment choice, an action on our part, not work, but an action. Though Jesus is the initiator and the giver of the grace to abide, we still have to choose on a moment-by-moment -moment basis to live and act in Him 
rather than on our own. To act on our own without God is the life of the flesh. It is the perishing life, (laughs) which is an oxymoron. It is death. Jesus is inviting us to life in Him and His very life in us. Abiding is a synergistic partnering of doing life together. And this requires a change of thinking from living life in my own personal trinity of me, myself, and I to living in union with Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit. Again, the metaphor breaks down a little bit here. We have the choice to choose to separate. But it requires violence. It's not the intention of God. And the last that I want to highlight. Abiding must be learned and practiced. Abiding must be learned and practiced like a sport, like learning to speak another language, learning to read the identify symbols. All things when they are new or unlearned are unknown and we can't do them without a teacher and practice. And guess what Jesus was and continues to be? A teacher. And guess what? He is available to teach you how to abide in Him as He abided in the Father. He's got practice at it. He's done it all through eternity and He's willing to help us abide in Him. As human beings, our mind, will, body, and emotions have been trained by the world's teachings. Our desires to have the world the way we want it is a pattern of life that must be undone through the learning of a new way of life. Paul says, put off the old, have your mind renewed, and put on the new. That's a pattern of life. That's a change, but it requires our participation in that. New patterns must be developed, learned, and practiced. And those patterns and practices are the instructions for how to live this kind of life that are throughout the entirety of the Scriptures. Every one of Paul's suggestions, directives, instructions are available to help us learn to direct our mind, will, body, soul, spirit, and emotions into union with Jesus. They're not to be followed as rules or laws, but as pictures and descriptions of the eternal kind of life that we live and experience through abiding in Jesus as Jesus abides in us. I said last week that, uh, and would say it here in the same connection, this idea of living life with God, this idea of abiding in Christ, has to be learned and practiced. We have devotions during the day not to fulfill some mandate or some really good thing I should do. We do it to practice being with God. 
we pause in the middle of our day to just remember God, to say thank you God, because it allows us to grow in our awareness of God and to abide in Him. We read the scriptures to be reminded, oh yeah, right, forgot about that. Not to obey, oops, no, to live with God. It's all these little things. We, we fast, which we've, everybody broken their fast yet? I haven't broken mine. That's going to do that at dessert today here. One of them. Go home and watch a movie. It'll be my other one. Anyway, um, we fast not to fulfill some law or to make God happy or to lose weight. I did. I did. About four pounds. Um, but Claire and I were working outside too, so that was a lot of it. But we do it to, to practice not getting what I want all the time. Learning to say, you know what? That's going to lead to a dead end if I keep walking down that path, so I'm not going to do that. We practice these spiritual practices to learn how to do life with God. Does that make sense? All right. I want to conclude by reading again that opening uh, paragraph I read from Murray. And this will be our prayer. And when I'm done with it, we're just going to be still for a moment. It's going to be there on the screen. And I, I want you to get in touch with your desire to abide in Christ. I want you to sort of lay aside all the perishings and to focus in on the life of abiding with Christ that he wants for us. Wondrous parable of the vine, unveiling the mysteries of the divine love, of the heavenly life, of the world of spirit. How little have I understood thee, Jesus, the living vine in heaven, and I, the living branch on earth. How little have I understood, how great my need, but also how perfect my claim to all Jesus' fullness. How little understood, how great his need, but also how perfect his claim to my emptiness. Let me in its beautiful light study the wondrous union between Jesus and his people until it becomes to me the guide into full communion with my beloved Lord. Let me listen and believe until my whole being cries out, Jesus is indeed to me the true vine, bearing me, nourishing me, supplying me, using me, and filling me to the full to make me bring forth fruit abundantly. Then shall I not fear to say, I am indeed a branch to Jesus, the true vine, abiding in Him, resting on Him, waiting for Him.
serving Him and living only that through me too He may show forth the riches of His grace and give His fruit of love to a perishing world. Just take a moment and get in touch with your desire to abide in Christ. And then declare your intention to God and invite His help. Jesus, you are the vine. We are your branches. You abide in us. And we choose to abide in you. That you, Father, would be glorified. through our love for you, one another, and our lost and perishing world. In your name, Jesus, let it be so. We've got folks that will be up here to pray with you if you would have interest to have someone come alongside and to join you to pray, come alongside anything, conditions, circumstances, situations. We'd love to have a chance to pray with you. Other than that, we look forward to seeing you next week. Don't forget to set your clocks to get here early for breakfast. And, and bring whatever it is you're supposed to bring so there really is enough that God can multiply. Bless you. Have a great week.